you. Uh, want to talk a little bit about Psalm 23. We were chatting the other night in the elders meeting, and we're going to continue this year with our, our theme for the year, looking at uh, the theme of the Bible from start to finish with emphasis on Jesus in both Testaments. But you'll hear a lot of sermons and class applications in the next few months about the trust that we need to have in our God. And it occurred to me this last week, as I was contemplating the question, when will we return to a state of normalcy? I was reading a Wall Street Journal article last Wednesday on this very question of when will we return to normal? And um, I don't want to uh, depress you more than I was already depressed in reading the article, but uh, it suggested that uh, not only are we going to have to hunker down probably longer than we hoped for at the very beginning, but over the next couple of years, things are not going to quite return completely to normal. That uh, there may be a series of strenuous effort of fits and starts, of uh, transmission chains resurfacing, of uh, events uh, that are not in our normal range of experience transpiring over the next couple of years. And um, I don't know about you, but I, 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 I sense that there are a lot of Americans who've anxi whose anxiety levels have gone through the roof uh, Liz Ann Saunders, who, uh, or Sanders, who is a chief investment strategist at, at Schwab, suggests that 53% of American adults have no emergency savings. 53%. And interestingly, interestingly enough, she broke that down decade by decade. And uh, among the 80 above crowd, 37% have uh, savings or no savings, but uh, in every other decade of age bracket, it hovers around the 50% level until you get down to the 20 something crowd and then it hovers way above the 20% level or 50% level in terms of having zero savings. And the thought has struck me if a lot of these Americans do not get back to work soon, then uh, the economic fallout from the cure may be worse than the disease. But in any case, anxiety levels are high. There um, are new clusters in East Asia that are emerging as, as life gets back to normal. And so uh, I just have a feeling that uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter three and verse five, there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. And we may have a time to refrain from embracing except those of our immediate family over the, the next year or two, unfortunately. That said, I'm going to make a suggestion. I think that um, it's probably one of the most valuable suggestions that I, I possibly can make to you at this time. Um, I wanna focus a little bit on the Psalms and particularly Psalm 23, which is one of the most beloved Psalms in the world, obviously. Um, I've got a little booklet that uh, is just the English Standard Version Psalms. And uh, it's, a, it's a treasured resource for me. 
Um, my suggestion to every one of us is this. We may hear some bad news on the news over the next few weeks. I, I suspect that, again, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But every time you hear a piece of bad news, if you can reference a psalm or even read a psalm, if you have opportunity, to turn that bad news off and turn this good news on and gain a perspective that no matter how bad things may get because of this disease or the economic fallout or other factors that may be involved leading to people's anxiety levels, if you could put this in perspective of the psalmist crying out to God, depending upon God, and even, yes, waiting on God. Sometimes waiting on God demands a lot of patience, and the psalmists talk about that. But without preaching a separate sermon on just this one issue, I do want to call to your attention four facts about waiting on God. Number one, when we wait on God and have to wait on God, we learn to depend upon God as never before. None of us like to be patient in the extreme we want patience and we want it now we actually want the resolution to our problems tomorrow and not have to wait and wait some more but waiting sometimes is good for us if it forces us to depend upon god even more then the exercise will be profitable number two we learn what a relationship with god is worth the longer we have to wait uh, things that come instantly usually are not valued as the things that we have to wait a long time for. And when we have to, to wait through a crisis situation, we learn to value that relationship with God even more when we wait for certain resolutions to problems. Thirdly, we might consider how long God has waited for us we have to wait longer for him to help us through certain difficulties in life. And when it comes to the waiting game, uh, we will never outlast God. I guarantee you that he has waited for you to repent, for you to come back to him, for you to get serious about the things that are important in life longer than you'll wait for him to resolve certain problems that we'd like to be resolved immediately. And finally, the better the prize the longer the wait. We read in Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's remember that, and especially as we read some of these Psalms from time to time, and we come across this concept of having to wait on God. Waiting for the ultimate resolution is going to be absolutely worth it. And when this life is over and eternity opens up before our eyes, none of us will begrudge the wait 
or how good the ultimate prize really is. With that in mind, I'd like to focus your attention this morning on Psalm 23. And uh, again, before we, we really dive into the Psalm, um, it was suggested to me by, by one commentator this last week that if the Psalms had been lost in ancient history and, and recently archeologists would have dug up this, this book of Psalms, it would be a sensational find better than the Dead Sea Scrolls the beauty of the poetry, the dependence upon God, the the wonderful language exalted and the sublime that, that is there in the book of Psalms would be on the front page of every newspaper. It would be headlines in the internet. It might even uh, foreshadow uh, or, or swamp the coronavirus. It, it would be the antidote to the coronavirus. Um, there is some evidence that in the ancient church, simply because of the number of, of manuscripts of the Old Testament that, that focused on the book of Psalms, that Psalms was a favorite even in the early church. When uh, you, you read about the English Reformation and the early English Bibles, a lot of them had three sections. They had um, the Book of Common Prayer that had contained the entire book of Psalms. They had the Old and New Testaments and that contained the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. And then they had a hymn book at the end and that contained a third uh, version of the book of Psalms. And so they had three collections of Psalms in those, those old uh, English Bibles oftentimes. And so Psalms has long been a favorite of uh, people who've read the Bible over the centuries. Psalm 23 is probably the favorite of the favorite. It's by far and away the most famous chapter in the entire Old Testament. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This morning, I'd look, like to look at three things that uh, stand out in the Psalm 23. Number one, the shepherd's provision. Number two, the shepherd's protection. And number three, the sheep's proclamation. So first of all, the shepherd's provision. We are dependent upon others as we go through life, particularly when we are first born and we grow up. Dependence is focused on our parents. As we grow up a little more, dependence moves to interdependence. However, we de still depend, even in our adulthood, on professionals for education, for legal counsel, medical care, protection. We create substitute mothers and fathers in various ways for, for nurturing and, and advice. We never fully outgrow our dependency. Psalm 23 is perhaps the most eloquent expression in the Bible of our dependence upon God. 
probably the best loved passage in the entire Old Testament. It provides comfort in sorrow and in trial. The images are serene, pastoral, timeless. The psalm evokes a mood of meditative security. And again, we have the shepherd's provision and the shepherd's protection. And as we move from provision to protection, there is a shift from meditation in the third person, the Lord is my shepherd, to direct prayer in the second person, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So in the first part, as the psalmist David talks about the shepherd's provision, he speaks in the third person as he stands back in utter awe at the magnificence, the grandeur, and the provision of Almighty God. And the first thing he says is that the Lord is my shepherd. Yahweh, literally, is my shepherd. The Lord, or Jehovah God, occupies the first and emphatic place in this sentence. The Lord is my shepherd. For David, God is not only a corporate uh, uh, God who has a corporate relationship with David, but a personal relationship. The Lord is my shepherd, the most intimate metaphor for God yet encountered in the Psalms. We read of God as a king, as a deliverer, as an impersonal rock or shield. But a shepherd, a shepherd lives with the sheep and is, in the, is the flock's guide, physician, and protector. And David himself was called from the sheep as he was anointed to be king of Israel. 1 Samuel 16 and verse 11. He knew what it was to be a shepherd and to live with his sheep and to care for and provide, with, uh, provide for his sheep. Donald Williams gives this illustration. The mother of a young boy who was dying of cancer taught him the 23rd Psalm, having him repeat the words, the Lord is my shepherd, those five words. And she taught those five words with the fingers of a hand. And uh, counting these five words with his fingers, starting with his thumb. When he got to the ring finger, he came to the word my. And she taught him to hold that ring finger with his fist, symbolizing his personal relationship with the Lord. When the boy died, he was found holding that ring finger with the other hand. The Lord is my shepherd. Nothing is more important in life than having that personal relationship with God. The Lord is my shepherd. What does that mean? It means that I shall not want. Every need is met. It's especially important for us to contemplate right now as we go through this crisis. What it means is the shepherd rests his sheep, the shepherd directs his sheep, and the shepherd restores his sheep. First of all, the shepherd rests his sheep. He makes me lie down in green pastures. In our frantic life, God desires our rest and our peace. We need lush meadows and personal quiet time with God, and we especially need that now. Again, back to my suggestion, whenever you hear some bad news, reflect on one of these Psalms, read one of these Psalms, Meditate on one of these psalms. How you have green pastures. How you have quiet and still waters. He directs his sheep. He leads me beside still waters. The verb for lead means to lead to a watering place. 
The Lord gives us rest. He gives us food. He gives us water. He provides for us physically and spiritually. The Lord restores his sheep. He restores my soul. Not merely does he restore our bodies, but he restores our souls. I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is restored day by day. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The will of God is good, it's acceptable, it's perfect, Romans 12 and verse 2. And God can lead us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He can change us. He can change our life. He can make us ready for paths of righteousness with, when our souls are restored. And he does all of this for his name's sake. And that's really important to reflect upon. The ultimate value of being changed and being provided for is so God's name might get the glory and be glorified among men. In Ezekiel 36, verses 22 and 23, Ezekiel is instructed, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you, I will vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Whatever our need may be, God will provide and his name will be glorified as a consequence of that. Something worth remembering during these times. But we not only have the shepherd's provision, we have the shepherd's protection. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the times may be dark, they may be depressing and discouraging, but the paths of righteousness do not insulate us from the valleys of life. But we need to remember that even when we're in, the, in those valleys, it is the Lord who leads us through the dark gloom. We are never, ever, ever alone. God is with us every step of the way. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Death may cast its shadow. Overwhelming adversity may cast its shadow over us, but our fear is eclipsed in the presence of God. There are scores of I am with you promises in the Bible. And the very fact that we know that God is with us, we can get through virtually anything. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod beats off the external enemy while the crook staff rounds us back from our wandering foolishness back into the, the fold of, of safety. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, Jesus says in verses 27 and 28, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I will give them eternal life, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. We need to remember that we have a good shepherd in Jesus. 
In uh, John 10 and verse 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In verse 17, he says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay, I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. And so we have a good shepherd and he's willing to lay down his life in order to provide for us, in order to protect, protect us, and in order to secure eternal life for us. And now the metaphor changes from a pastoral setting of a shepherd providing and protecting his sheep to a table setting. The Lord becomes not only a shepherd, but a host. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And so the Lord prepares a table. He anoints for us or anoints us with oil and he fills our cup. Here is a banquet, a celebration of God's abundant blessings that fill our lives and indeed they overflow. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. At such a time as this, we need to count our blessings again and again and again. Above all, even in times of adversity, we are blessed beyond measure. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Mercy there is hesed. That should be a familiar word to those of us who've been studying the covenant on Wednesday nights. It refers to God's promise to keep his covenant love, his steadfast love and faithfulness toward us. Your goodness and mercy will follow me. The idea here is it will pursue, it will pursue us all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell in God's tabernacle literally to length of days. Here then is dependence, dependence upon God, which makes us independent in this world. When we find our identity and our security in God, we are free to deal with life and not cave in to the pressures of this world. We are free to put those pressures in their proper perspective in light of the bigger picture of a God who loves us, who provides for us, who protects us, who is with us every step of the way. One final point, and I think it's worth, uh, worth uh, stating, is that you not only have focus on the shepherd, his provision and his protection, but you have a proclamation of that. Going back to my initial point in this morning's lesson about how important it is to focus on the Psalms, to meditate on the Psalms, to read the Psalms, and even to verbalize the Psalms. One point that I, I often make when I'm studying the Psalms in various Bible classes is that more than any other book in the Bible, 
The Psalms reveals what a heartfelt, soul-starved, single-minded relationship with God looks like. What we need to do is make God the gravitational center of our lives, not focus on all the, the clutter in the world around us, but focus, truly focus on our relationship with God. In Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, we read, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come? and appeared before God. In Psalm 63, we read, For you, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name. I will lift up my hands. More than ever, we need to focus on God and make him the gravitational center of our lives. Thirdly, we need to count our blessings. In Psalm 100, we have a psalm of thanksgiving. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And finally, realize that the Bible itself is the vehicle which leads us to the heart of God. I'm going again to, to reiterate my suggestion. That whenever you hear bad news, and you are likely to hear a lot of it over the next few weeks, I believe. Read the Psalms. Read them out loud. Meditate them on them as never before. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. When we outwardly verbalize the Psalms. We enter into the world, the thought world of the Psalms, and the Psalms become the vehicle which lead us to the heart of God, provide the peace, the serenity, and the pasture, as well as the still water that Psalm 23 talks about. But read the Psalms, meditate on the Psalms, Verbalize the Psalms whenever you're tempted to hear bad news or whenever you just happen to hear bad news. I believe that it will provide incredible peace and comfort in the trying weeks ahead and will help us and remind us of what's really important. God will provide. Amen.